Amen. You can be seated this morning. We are not going to shortchange your worship. You're going to get more worship at the end of the service today, all right? So you're going, wait a second, he's starting awfully fast today. What is going on? Are you guys having a good spring break or did you have a good spring break? Yes, you did. Well, I did as well, and we are doing a special here at EVC today, and that is our post-St. Patrick's Day special, and that is your cars will all be green by the time they leave the service today because of all the pollen that's falling outside. If uh, your allergies are like my allergies, I am struggling to make it through this service because I have water up here and my voice is going even as we speak. I know you guys are hoping it goes quickly. I know that you are, but, um, but again, I, when I walked up this morning <clears throat> as the sun was rising, you could see just it looked like a snowstorm was coming out of these two front trees out here. So again, I hope your allergies are in check today. But we are continuing in this series that we are calling The Comeback. And a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Bart and I got together, and we were talking about just how we were going to conclude the series. And um, the more we talked about it, the more we just looked at this and said, we cannot go too quickly over this next segment because... Um, we could have tried to pack it all into one message, but there was just way too many things that were going on. And so what we're doing, as he began last week, and so here I encourage you, if you did not hear last week's message because you were heading out of town or for whatever reason, I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to it online because it really sets the stage for where we're going today. Because we're, in essence, we're, I want you to look at this kind of like a surgery. What Pastor Bart did last week was kind of go over the diagnosis of the patient, Joseph himself, as we look at what was going on in Joseph's life. What I'm going to do today is kind of, we're going to open the patient up and we're going to search for the roots of, of dysfunction that we see. We're talking about dysfunctional families. Do you know any of those? Matter of fact, turn it to people behind you and say, oh, he must be talking about you, right? Okay, no, we're talking about... All of our families are dysfunctional. Amen? Amen. Let me try that one more time. I know this is a great looking 1130 service, but all of our families are dysfunctional. Amen? Amen. If you're not saying amen, you're the most dysfunctional (laughs) because you don't admit it. Okay? I can tell you how dysfunctional my family particularly is because last uh, it's been the girls' spring break as well. Kara was on a mission trip um, to South Padre Island on a beach reach there. And uh, Allison did a, a mission trip in South Dallas, and so they were just home at the end of the week. And so last night, we gathered as a family to do what all families should do. We played Settlers of Catan, okay? Does anybody know what we're talking about? Okay, most of the younger folks in the room. It is a particular board game, and our family is competitive. And uh, so all kinds of dysfunction were seen last night at our kitchen table. And I did not announce this in the second service. Allison Miller won. Okay, so there. There. She told me I did not go far enough, but she won the game. I was a stupid kid. I'm telling you. No, I'm kidding. All right. So, but we, we all live in dysfunctional homes. We all have come from dysfunctional roots. And as Bart and I were talking about this, we said we can't just roll over this because this is so pertinent to our lives. And so we're going to look in Scripture today and we're going to see what we're calling today kind of roots of dysfunction as we see it not just in Joseph's life but in Jacob's life as well and actually in the, the generations prior to even Jacob. And so we're going to look at this but here's what I'm going to ask you to do. 
I'm asking you to continue what Bart talked about last week, and that is look in your own lives. Look in your own familial patterns that are in your background and in your current family and identify what are some of the roots of dysfunction as we talk about them within this biblical story, which I'm so thankful for. And as Bart talked about last week, let me set the stage for you just a little bit. And he talked about Joseph. Here is Joseph. He is the prime minister of Egypt. He is dealing with a world crisis And he is minding his own business, doing what Joseph does best in getting all of the world literally fed from the nation of Egypt. He has ignored basically these family issues that he's had. And as Bart played last week, in walks his brothers. And it probably sounded something like this. Yes, you see, Joseph is dealing with his hillbilly brethren who have come from the hills of Canaan. And as they are now arriving here, he has to deal with all of their issues, which he's not been paying attention to for the last several years. And instead, he wants his brothers to now this. He wants to see this. How do you like me now? Yeah, he wants them to go, hey, how do you like me now, brothers, that you placed me in the pit, you sold me into slavery. Now, how do you like what you see now? But... For our part of the story, we're going to look instead back in Canaan. Meanwhile, back in Canaan, we see Jacob. And Jacob's theme song probably would go something more like this. Carry on my wayward son. Yeah. Hey, boys, you guys carry on. We've got to go in this song to that famous part. You know what it is. Go. All right. So we always have to make it to that particular part. Now, I know, I know, how many of you have ever heard a message that started off with Kansas, okay? All right, I don't think so, all right. So, again, you guys are going to be playing that. In your matter of fact, iTunes will have a hit from EVC today because you guys are going, oh, that's a great song, all right. But this is what Jacob is doing. Jacob is going, okay, I'm sending you boys, my wayward sons, you guys head on back to Egypt because you didn't get the job done the first time. But what we see is a pattern of dysfunction in Jacob's life that we had better take stock of our own issues and our own lives and what we see in ourselves. Now, I'm not making fun of the biblical patriarchs. Matter of fact, you would likely not hear a message of any of this depth in a Jewish congregation because the patriarchs are so revered, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are so revered that they tend to overlook the flaws of these men. But here's what I want us to bring to our attention. For EVC, we're a church that is founded upon the principle of authenticity, founded upon the principles of transparency, where we try to talk about the issues and shortcomings in our own life. And I will do so again today as I look at my own life, my own family, my own current family, and family of origin as we look at these things and look for these roots of dysfunction. But here's what I am so thankful for about God's Word. God's Word shows us that these men are not perfect. And because they are not perfect and we can see their weaknesses, it helps us to understand that God can use us in our weakness as well. Amen? Matter of fact, I want you to go to Romans 8.28. When we understand this principle, God works His purpose in the midst of, of our own personal dysfunction. God works his purpose 
through our dysfunction, whether it is the issues that we have created ourselves and the, our own sin, or whether it's things that others have perpetrated upon us, God works even in the midst of, as a matter of fact, He uses our dysfunction as the building blocks of His purpose. And let me show you where you find that in Scripture. Romans eight twenty eight says, And we know, That God causes, now that is a very important word. God causes everything to work together. Now, it does not say that God causes all issues in our life. What it says is God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, what that also doesn't say is that God works according to the purpose for everyone. What it says to those who are called to Him, who have a relationship with Him. And what that means is all things are not good, are they? The things in our life, the difficulties, the struggles, the grief, the death, the abuse, the hurt, those things are not good things. And I am not saying that God caused those things. That's not what this verse says. It says that God takes all those things all the trash of our life, all the struggles that we've carried down from families before us, all the things we've perpetrated to our kids ourselves, and he takes all those things, and the mastery of the power of God is he can weave those into a story of redemption. And this passage and these points that I'm going to share with you today prove that. God used one of the most dysfunctional families on the face of the earth to bring through them the line of redemption Jesus Christ himself through this line that we're going to read about today. And through Jesus Christ, the God-man, 100% God, 100% man, in his full godliness and full humanity, lived a perfect life because you and I can't. That's the principle of what we see in this passage today. So we're going to look at the life, instead of Joseph, we're going to look at the life of Jacob and the story of Jacob. So let me tell you just briefly the story of Jacob. Jacob was the second born twin son of Isaac and Rebekah. And our story basically kind of begins there with some of the dysfunction. You see, Isaac was the doted on only child of Abraham and Sarah. Where are my only children today? Raise your hands, okay? That says so much about what I know you know. I'm just teasing. But here's what Isaac... And Rebecca had, as Isaac and Rebecca, or excuse me, as Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah, he was the only child of these two. But not only was he the only child of these two, he was the only child in their late age. They had not been able to conceive and, and have a child, and he is born to their old age, which means that he is doted on even more. And he is loved, and I mean loved, by his mother. Sarah. But you see, they were impatient. They were impatient, and and Sarah decided that she would give her maid or her handmaiden named Hagar to her husband Abraham to sleep with and to conceive a child with. His name was Ishmael, and this creates a significant issue. Has anybody read the news lately that there's any conflict between, say, Islam and Judaism and Christianity? Has anybody read anything about that? Okay, that began right here. That began, all of Islam traces their heritage to Ishmael, the son of Abraham. 
They consider Abraham the father of their religion, just like Judaism considers Abraham the father of their religion, only Islam traces it through Ishmael and the Jews through Isaac. And so we have a significant problem and a significant source of dysfunction. Now, Sarah so loves her son that she doesn't want him to marry anyone in her her own area, in the region from where they lived. Instead, she wants him to go back to her brother named Bethuel and to marry one of his children. Yes, he is marrying his cousin. This is not a time for you to jeer about Arkansas. Instead, this is about (laughs) Kentucky. And no, 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 it is not about Kentucky. All right. But here he is marrying his cousin because Sarah is so concerned that he should marry within their heritage and their understanding. And he finds his wife, Rebecca, whom he loves. And then we see another part of the story. Isaac and Rebecca also have fertility issues. Now, see, I find this incredibly interesting. We've had so many families who have struggled with fertility issues. What does this prove and what does this mean? It means that everyone and all of us struggle with these things that are very real to these characters who are within God's Word. And it brings the reality of these characters to life. Isaac and Rebecca struggle with fertility issues. Isaac prays over Rebecca. Rebecca conceives twin boys. And here is a significant additional problem of dysfunction. Genesis 25, 22 says this, But two children struggled together in her womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. What is, ha- or why is this happening to me? These two boys are at each other's throats in the womb, okay? That is a little scary. I don't know about you, but I know that we're all supposed to be Uh, so drawn to our first child, realizing this pregnancy and loving it so. And But I tell you what, the first time that in the womb I saw Kara's arm go across Jennifer's stomach, I thought, alien, okay? I did not think that's beautiful. I did not think that's cool. I thought, that is sickness is what that is right there. How does this happen? Okay, I know how it happens. All right, all right. No need to tell. But here's the point. The point is, these two are at each other from the very point of conception. This is some family conflict. Would you not agree? All right? This is some family dysfunction. Now then, Isaac and Rebekah have these two sons, Esau and Jacob. Now, there's family favoritism, which we'll talk about a little bit later, uh, that, that will come about. But Esau marries two Hittite women. That is the area from which they lived. And Rebecca disliked Esau's wives. We're talking mother-in-law, daughter-in-law conflict, okay? Can anyone relate to that? Do not raise your hands, okay? Do not raise your hands. Do not identify yourself, especially if your mother-in-law is in the room, okay? But here is some in-law conflict. I mean, is the Jerry Springer show just, has it just sprung up in Scripture? Is that what's just happened? Because this is crazy. So now... Rebecca sees this, does not want a daughter-in-law from around her anymore because she doesn't like these two women. She sends her son, Jacob, to her brother, his name is Laban, to go out of state and to find a husband. This brings it back to my family story. This is what my sweet wife had to do, and here's the reason why. She had to go find a husband out of state. It's because that my father-in-law was a former cop, a high school football coach, 
and also a high school principal. This means he knows teenagers very well. And he believes, just as a a man who's in our last service, I had dinner with him a few weeks ago, and he believes this, all boys are evil. Amen, fathers of daughters? Okay, I can totally agree with that. All boys, even me, we're all evil. Okay, that's just the bottom line. All boys are evil. So, so here's what Jacob or what Rebecca sends Jacob to Laban, her brother, to find a wife. Now, here is where the story just gets unbelievably Jerry Springer. Here's what happens. Laban, so Jacob is desiring to marry this beautiful daughter of Laban named Rachel. And on the wedding night, Laban switches his older daughter, Leah, for Rachel. And when Jacob wakes up the next morning, do not ask me how this happened. I do not know. But when he wakes up the next morning, he has been married to the first daughter, Leah, and not the woman, Rachel, that he wanted to marry. Now, if this is not dysfunction, I do not know what dysfunction is. So he agrees, and in the next week, he marries Rachel. Now he has these two sister wives. That's where the show began. I'm just telling you. (laughs) He has these two sister wives, and he loves Rachel more than Leah. And that is said in Scripture multiple times. It says, Rachel's eyes were glowing, you know, all these things about Rachel, and that Leah's name means bitter, okay? Do you not think that's some sister-wife conflict that's ready to happen? I think it is so. So this is what Jesus Christ comes through this line of dysfunction. I'm telling you, by the time we get to Joseph, a team of psychologists could not work out all of the dysfunction that's in this family. And that's what I want us to understand and to see, is to see the reality of what this story and what has happened. When we arrive at Joseph and we see all these things happening to Joseph, we just go, boy, he just really drew the short straw in this deal. But what we don't realize is it all traces back to the roots of dysfunction that have existed through multiple generations. And do not miss the point. They exist in every single person that's here this morning. All right? We are all dysfunctional. And we all come from dysfunctional families. The question is this. Are we going to identify the roots of dysfunction that we see in our current family situation and in the roots and traces of that dysfunction as it goes previous to us? So here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to give you four points that we see clearly coming from Scripture that it's not just dealing with Joseph and Jacob, that we see it in previous generations, the same traits that we see that Jacob lives out. But here's what I need you to do. I need you to ask yourself this question. Do I see these same traits in my family? And if not these, where are the roots of dysfunction for me? The first thing we see is this. Despair, which gives way to impatient action. Okay, let me say it one more time. Despair, which gives way to impatient action. Look at Genesis 42 and 43. We're going to be right there in 42 and 43, and then we're going to go other places to see where these roots emerge from. Genesis 42, verse 36. Jacob exclaimed to his sons, 
Now that they've come back from Joseph in Egypt, he exclaims to them, You are robbing me of my children. Joseph is gone, he believes. Simeon is now gone because Joseph held Simeon in prison until they would bring Benjamin back with them. And now you want to take Benjamin too? Everything is going against me. Can you hear the despair in Jacob's voice? Everything is going against me because now you want to take my beloved son, Benjamin, the second son of my beloved wife, Rachel. How do you think the other brothers felt? That his father is so upset about losing him, but he's not as upset about them going back and potentially losing their lives. It's all about Benjamin. Despair gives way to impatient action. You see, Jacob is living in a place of disparity. Look how it continues on. Genesis 43, verse 11. So their father Jacob finally said to him, listen to the exasperation. If it can't be avoided, then at least do this. Pack your bags with the best products of this land. Take, this, take them down to the man as gifts. The man is Joseph. Balm, honey, gum, aromatic resin, pistachio nuts, and almonds, all things they had readily available in Canaan. He said, and also take double the money that was put back in your sacks, as it was probably someone's mistake. Then take your brother back to the man. May God Almighty give you mercy as you go before the man, so that he will release Simeon and let Benjamin return. But if I must lose my children, so be it. You see, Jacob's despair leads him to take an impatient action just to send Benjamin on back with the brothers. But this is a way that God continually works out this whole situation to bring his family and bring his children to the place of Egypt. But when he is doing this, he gives way to his own impatience. Is this a family pattern for Jacob? Do you remember Abraham and Sarah? And their impatience and what that led to. It led to her giving Hagar and having a child with Hagar and Ishmael. And we are dealing with all of that family and nation and world conflict to this day. Do you realize that Christians, Jews, and Islam all trace their heritage back to Abraham? That's six and a half billion people on this planet who worship God all go back to Abraham. And that conflict is there. You see, despair will lead us to impatient actions. How does it look like in our families? Maybe in your family, despair gave way to impatience. Rather than waiting for marriage, you decided to live together. A pregnancy or a hasty marriage, and now you're questioning, or comes along, and now you're questioning those decisions. Maybe you were behind in your bills, and you decided to take a high-interest loan. And in your family or in your, your grandparents' A spiral of debt began that you are still trying to get out of to this day because of an impatient action to despair in your particular family situation. Maybe your parents were in a tough spot and chose their own ease rather than your needs being met. And it's left you with a feeling or sense of abandonment. You see, these are just some potential examples of how this despair over not knowing what to do, could lead us to an impatient action and therefore create a root of dysfunction in our lives that it is up to us to recognize and to begin to deal with. 
We could list a ton of other things. But when we get into a place of despair, it often leads us to impatient action where we try to take on God's role in our life. And instead of allowing Him to control things, we rush out and we seek to control them ourselves. And these create dysfunction within our lives. Number two, bargaining with people's lives through bribery. You go, I would never think of that. Well, hang on. Wait till we get how this looks like in our families. But here's what it looked like in Jacob's family. Genesis 42, verse 37. It says, then Reuben said to his father. Now, Reuben is the oldest son of Leah, the one who's bitter, the one through whom Judah is also born, which through Judah actually comes the tribe that Jesus is born from. So isn't it interesting that Jesus comes not from the line of the beloved wife, but from the one who feels bitter. Isn't that interesting? But nevertheless, Reuben is the oldest son of Leah. He's the oldest son of all the sons. It is this same Reuben that if you'll remember back to the story of Joseph, when Joseph was put in the pit by his brothers, it was Reuben who was going to come back and take Joseph out and return him to his father because Reuben felt the responsibility of the oldest. But he was away when the brothers saw the Ishmaelites. That's no, that's no mistake. Ishmael goes back to Ishmael, this son of Hagar. It was the Ishmaelites that Joseph was sold to, continuing this family conflict and dysfunction that's going on. But Reuben was going to go back and free Joseph, but the brothers sold Joseph before Reuben could get back. And it says that Reuben tore his clothes and wept because he knew as the oldest son, he was responsible to his father to get Joseph back. Now, we see this same Reuben pleading with his father to allow their, all their families to live because they have to go back to Egypt to get food. And he says, then Reuben said to his father, listen to the anguish. You may kill my two sons if I don't bring Benjamin back to you. What kind of father does it take to allow his son to come to the place where he gives his own children's lives to appease his father. Do you not think that there's some control issues going on? I'll be responsible for him. I promise to bring him back. I know, Jacob, my father, I know I promised to do the same thing with Joseph, and I know I fell short so much. So I'll give you my sons. Put them to death if I don't bring your son Benjamin back to you. Do you see the bargaining that Reuben is willing to do with his father? Do you think it started with Reuben? Do you think it even started with Jacob? The answer is no. How does it get to this point? Go back to Genesis 25. Jacob, one day it says, when verse 29, one day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau, this brother of Jacob, twin brother of Jacob, Esau arrived from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of this red stew. This is, by the way, how Esau got his other name, which was Edom, which is the name of the country that was where all of Esau's descendants lived. Edom. It says, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights. Here's the bargaining. Trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. A little dramatic, (laughs) okay, don't you think? I'm dying of starvation. Are you really dying of starvation? But anyway, all right. 
Look, I'm dying of starvation. What good is my birthright to me now if I die, is what he's saying. But Jacob said, first, you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. You see, Reuben isn't the first one who's bargaining with the very lives of his sons. Jacob was a bargainer. Jacob's actual name, Jacob, means deceiver, deceptive one. Later, his name is changed to Israel, where we get the country of Israel. His name is changed to Israel. But he is this deceptive one who is bargaining with people's lives and people's futures. Many a person has been destroyed through this type of bargaining. What does it look like in our families? Maybe it's something like this. Maybe... We say to a child, look, if you'll just accomplish this, if you'll just do this, then I will give you this. We begin to make bargains with their activity, with their morality, with their lives, with what they do with their futures. If you'll just do this, then I will give you this. And we switch these bargains with our children to say, if you'll just live the life I want you to live. What is it? It's a way of control that we seek to control. And it is a root of dysfunction. Instead of saying, you need to do this for your own role and responsibility, for your own responsibility to God who made you, for your own place in our family, you need to do this because it's the right thing to do. Instead, we bargain with one another to seek control. And it is a root of dysfunction. The third thing that we see, and one that is so prevalent, in so many of our families is this. Family favoritism creating rivals and conflict. Family favoritism creating rivals and conflict. Genesis 42 verse 38. But Jacob replied to his sons, My son will not go down with you. His brother Joseph is dead, and he is all I have left. If anything should happen to him on your journey... You would send this grieving white-haired man to his grave. How must have the other brothers felt to know that this is how their father thought about Benjamin, but not about them? You remember what Joseph, or excuse me, what Jacob had said about Joseph openly to his children. These sons of Rachel are more important to me than you, sons of Leah or sons of Bilhah. You are not as important to me. He said this in Genesis 37. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe, but his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Now, where did this root of dysfunction, where did it come from? It came not just from Jacob, but look at what Genesis 25 says, verse 27 and 28, about Jacob and Esau as it related to um, Isaac and Rebekah. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Randy Miller translation of this Jacob was a mama's boy, okay? That is what this is basically saying. Jacob preferred a quiet temperament and to stay at home. But Esau was this man of the woods. 
He was a hunter. He went out. He brought game back. And Isaac, verse 28 says, loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. I think that's incredibly interesting. Isaac loves Esau because of what he brings him. Now just think about that. That is a root of dysfunction where we place the value of what we care about or love or how we love our kids based on what they can give us. But then listen to what it says. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Do you see the root of dysfunction that is spiraling in this family? Is it any wonder that when Jacob gets to Joseph and Benjamin, he displays this open Love for them more so than the other brothers because family conflicts and family favoritism creates rivals and conflicts within a family. How does it happen in our families? Chances are me even bringing this up brings deep-seated woundedness to many of you. And, And we want you to understand we realize that. We have been praying for you to the point of of this, knowing that Satan, the enemy himself, will this week try to weave different messages into your heart saying of your lesser value because of some of these things, because you realize some of these things. I'm encouraging you strongly, not only go and listen to last week's message, but make sure you're here next week as we move further and further towards the resolution and the understanding of forgiveness in these principles. But we must do the work of digging these roots out of our lives. Genesis 25, we see this. Oh, I just said that. I'm sorry. I'm realizing where, where I was at. But, but here's how it happens in our families. It happened in my family just this way. My sister's 10 years older than me. My brother is six years older than me. But my father worked construction. He owned his own home construction business, and we ran cattle. My father was very much a workaholic. He got a lot of his life from the work that he did. And my brother and I spent all of our teenage years working right next to my father. My sister, who was 10 years older, did not. She came along first. My father did not expect the same things from her to work out with him as he did from us. Now, from my sister, I can tell you, really appeared to her that he might favor us in some ways. But the truth was, we worked with him. And so we got to know him in ways that she did not have the opportunities to do. Do I think that my father wanted to show favoritism in that way? I don't believe so. But it, from her appearance, may have looked that way. Now, whether it was actual favoritism or simply that you perceived it as favoritism, the wound is still there and is caused. It's already happened. And the question is, what are we going to do? And do we realize that the roots are actually there? And what are we going to do with them? They especially occur in blended families. I love you. There are so many blended families here at EVC, and I don't say anything that I'm about to say to wound or hurt anyone deeper. But here is the truth. The truth is, because there are different authority, family authority structures created when families are blended, for whatever reason, whether it was divorce, whether it was adultery, whether it was a struggle, whatever the reason why it happens, God still wants to use it and will use it, but... In blended families, there are competing authority structures. 
And it is very difficult for you to love someone else's children the way that you love your own natural children or adopted children. It's very difficult. Just like some of you are discovering when your children marry. It is difficult to love an in-law or a son-in-law or a daughter-in-law. It's difficult to love them with the same love that you love your own natural children. It's just difficult. Not impossible, but it's difficult. So my point here is this exists and family favoritism will create roots of dysfunction that we must discover and seek to deal with with forgiveness. Number four, deception as a means of getting what you want. We see this so prolific in Jacob's story. His name actually, as I said earlier, means deceiver. Genesis 43 verses 6 and 7 says this, Why were you so cruel to me, Jacob moans to his sons? Why did you tell him, meaning Joseph, why did you tell him you had another brother? The man kept asking us questions about our family, they replied. He asked us, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? So we answered his questions. How could we know that he would say, bring your brother down here? You know what Jacob is really saying? Why didn't you just do what our family has done for centuries and lie? Why did you tell the truth? And you go, no, are you kidding me? This is Isaac and and Abraham. Let me bring it to your attention. Isaac, the father of Jacob, and Abraham, the father of all these world religions that we've just talked about in a few minutes ago, they both lied to the very same king named Abimelech, saying that their wives were actually their sisters because they were so fearful that the king would see the beauty of their wives and kill them. They just gave up their wives saying, no, it's really my sister. You feel free to take them from us. Isaac and Abraham lie to the very same king. There is a total root of dysfunction in this family towards lying to the point that Jacob is basically saying to his sons, our family trait is lying. You boys can't even do that right. Okay? That's what Jacob is basically saying. So you see there's this deception as a means of getting what he wanted. Now, I want to take you through this. I had never seen this in Scripture before. And I think it is so telling of this root of dysfunction that's been in their family. So I want you to follow along with me. If we go back to Genesis 27, verse 14. Again, remember, Jacob has already robbed his brother of his birthright. Now he wants to rob him of the family blessing. Okay? And so now we see the collusion of Jacob and his mother who loves him so much. So verse 14 of chapter 27. So Jacob went out. And I want you to repeat this with me. And he got the what? Young goats. Now hold on to that. That's going to be very pertinent in just a second. He got the young goats for his mother. And Rebecca took them. And she prepared a delicious meal just the way Isaac liked it. Because she knew that Isaac had a particular weakness for food. Interestingly enough, that's what he loved about Esau. And now he knows, his wife knows how he likes this prepared. She prepares it for him. Then she, Rebecca, complicit in all of this, took Esau's favorite clothes, which were there in the house, and gave them to her younger son, Jacob. And she covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with the skin of the what? Young goats. 
Then she gave Jacob the delicious meal, including freshly baked bread. Now, here's what's happening. Isaac is blind. And if he can smell the smell of his son Esau and feel of his arms because he was a hairy individual, I will leave names nameless in this room that are hairy like Esau. But nevertheless, because I've seen some of you. Okay, so he, he feels of his arms of the goats that he's placed upon, the fur that's there, and he smells the smell of the outdoors of Esau, and he lays his hands upon Jacob, and he gives him the family blessing for which Jacob, the whole line of this blessing will come about and these sons eventually leading us to our very Savior. But here's the interest of his father. See where the root of deception continues. Remember, Jacob has deceived his father. Now watch what happens. Genesis 37, verse 31 and 32. I've never seen this. Joseph, they've thrown him in the pit. Then the brothers, it says, killed a what? Same animal. Not only was the deception to the point of the same type of action, they used the same animal that Jacob used. They killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in the blood and they sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? With the very same animal, the brothers, the sons of Jacob, deceived their father just like Jacob had deceived his father. And the root of dysfunction continues to wrap around the family. So whether it's deception or whether it is bargaining with people's lives, whether it is this sense of family favoritism, these are all roots of dysfunction that we must deal with. We can't just ignore. And we must continue to process through this if we are going to see our families actually become legacies of faith rather legacies, rather than legacies of self-destruction. So what are we to do? What does it look like in our own families? There was a couple that got married around the same time as Jennifer and I. So how does this, how does this deception work out in our families today? This couple uh, were very good friends of ours. Not only did they marry around the same time as, as we got married, but they also had a child that was around the same age of Kara. They had another child that was around the same age of Allison. So my point is just we were very close with this family. Before the age, this first child, her name was Sarah. Before Sarah was the age of two, she had had multiple surgeries on her skull uh, to, to bring up to speed where her, her skull would be or where it should be with her development. And we didn't know whether Sarah would make it to her two-year-old birthday. I will tell you today, Sarah is a beautiful young lady. She is uh, thriving and doing well. But here is where the story takes a turn. Medical bills began to ensue. Now, this couple, just like Jennifer and I, she was uh, very good at details and finances, just like Jennifer. He would really struggle with the fact that when bills would come, he'd get stressed out, just like I would do. And so he gave to his wife the responsibility of the bills, just like Jennifer and I had done. Again, mirroring our marriages right in the same time period. But what happened about a year into this process, I imagine around this time where taxes were due, he discovered that she had been keeping from him the depth 
of their debt for medical debt for their daughter, Sarah. He got irate. He said this, how can I trust you with other areas of our marriage if I can't trust you with the finances? Why had she done it to begin with? Because he got stressed out with the finances. He didn't like knowing what was happening. And so she was trying to protect him. And even in trying to protect him, that level of deception destroyed their marriage. They got a divorce. Their family is broken to this day. You see, deception can cause a root within our marriages, within our families, that can bring destruction. Now, we've talked about these areas. These are not the only areas of dysfunction, as you might know. These are the ones we see right out of the story of Jacob and Joseph. But here are some others that I just want to list for you. Maybe it's abuse. Maybe it's abandonment. Deception, as we've, missed, as we've mentioned. Favoritism. Harshness permissiveness, idolizing your children, lifting them up to an unnatural place above God himself and idolizing them, lying, adultery, sexual addiction, alcoholism, or obesity. These are all roots of dysfunction that are in our families. And how about just plain out fears? We're going to be doing a series on our fears and why we should not fear uh, right after Easter. So make sure that you're here for a part of that. So there are things about our fears that cause these roots that go into our lives. Now, what do we do with this? Remember, my role today was doing some exploratory surgery. I know that it's painful to look at these things. But here are four quick things, and these are just quick points before we go back into worship, that I want you to begin to process with these things that you may have identified. How do I begin to process? How do I recognize these patterns of dysfunction in my own family? First of all, look for patterns in your family that weren't talked about and determined to process them. Look for things in your past that weren't discussed. Found a great book this week. I have, for years, I have Dr. John, uh, or Henry Cloud and John Townsend, I've recommended to families and individuals a book called Boundaries. It is a phenomenal book. They have one now, Boundaries in Marriages, Boundaries in Parenting. It's all kinds of different things. But it talks about how do I set boundaries around my life that are good spiritual boundaries. But I found a book this week that I was reading and looking at. It's called this, Unlocking Your Family Patterns. And it spoke about this. So how do you recognize these patterns? If you see these patterns, they were unspoken rules in your family, it's likely going to lead you to a root of bitterness or a root of dysfunction. Here they are. If you were told, don't talk about this, don't trust people with this, or don't feel, these are three telltale signs that this is a root of dysfunction that comes straight from your family of origin. If you were told, look, People out here can't be trusted, so don't talk to them about what goes on here. Don't trust anyone else with what you know about us because if you tell them this, they aren't going to like us or our whole family or you. And certainly don't feel this way. If you've been encouraged to stuff your emotions down, that will help you identify a root of dysfunction that we all need to deal with. If those exist, 
which I can tell you they exist in my family, and they have seen them. I've seen them uh, raise up their ugly head. Those are areas that you need to begin to deal with. Number two, look for characteristics in your own life and recognize that the focus is not on he- is on health, not on whose fault it is. In other words, look for characteristics that are presenting in your own life. For me, about three years ago, it was quick anger that I would especially um, direct towards Kara and Allison. I wouldn't do it so much with Jennifer, but my anger would go quick to them. And I began to realize, I talked with Jennifer about it. I said, I don't know what's going on. I talked to a counselor about it. I talked through this process and realized that in grieving my mom and in dealing with my dad at the time, he was still alive and was struggling um, was just struggling with life and struggling with whether he wanted to live or not. I was dealing with so much grief in those situations and not processing it that I was taking it out on the two people who couldn't say anything to me about it or that I didn't think they could. You see, when you see characteristics that you can't explain for any other reason, that likely is a route to dysfunction that you're either going to deal with or you're just going to pass it on down the line to somebody else. Number three, knowledge is the first step, but it's not the final step. I wish I could say, okay, we've done our work today. Let's go home. We're done. We're not done. Knowledge is the first step. It's not the final step. The goal is forgiveness, and that's where we're moving next week, and exchanging a positive legacy for this root of dysfunction that we've discovered. Forgiveness helps us exchange these two, to give uh, health and wholeness instead of this dysfunction. The final thing is this. Depend on God's power to break these chains of your past. Listen, you can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. We not only need each other, but we need only the power of Jesus Christ to break these chains. But you've got to acknowledge Him first. You've got to realize that they're there in your life You've got to realize that just like in the story of Jacob and Joseph and Isaac and and Abraham, they're there. So what do we do with them? Do we just pass them on down the line? No, we deal with them. Yes, we realize God will use our dysfunction even to bring himself glory and even to show us things. He will cause all things to work together for our good. But if you recognize things and then ignore them, You're simply giving in to what the enemy wants to take from you. And you're passing them on to a generation further down from you where they are going to have to deal with these things. Stop and break the chain right here. Would you pray with me? I'm going to ask our worship team to come on back up. And we're going to process through some of this together. Actually in worship. So I want you to draw a circle on the ground in your mind. I want you to step into that circle. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Where do I see the roots of dysfunction in me? Where are they? I want you to begin to think about the family of origin that you came from. I want you to think about your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren. I want you to think about the lines up and the lines down. Do you see these roots of dis, of dysfunction there once you've identified it call
call it out to what it is. Maybe it was favoritism or deception or bargaining. Maybe it was lying, adultery, cheating. Maybe it was abuse or abandonment, hurt. Whatever it was, identify it. Get it in your mind. We're going to take it to the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, open our hearts, open our spirits, open our minds right now. Do your work, Holy Spirit, by identifying these roots, even as your word does in our lives. May we begin the transfer process today in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to remain seated. And I want you just to continue in this process. As our team sings, I want you to think about these areas of your life. We're going to process through this together in worship. It's not a worship song that does that. It's the power of Jesus Christ. Okay? So we're doing digging. And I know that digging hadn't stopped. I hope that you'll think about this as you go throughout this week and you'll process through, look, if it's good enough for Jacob, if it's struggle enough for Jacob, I can begin to deal with the roots that I see in my own heart and in my own life. And I won't pass it down to another generation beyond me. Let's do the work. Would you just be seated? I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward. We're going to take up God's tithe and offering today. But but as we do that, we realize that as you process through the hurts of your life, you may need to talk with somebody about this. You may need to uh, be encouraged by someone else. You may need to, to go through and to walk through. Luke, let me get you. Would you come over here, bud? I'm sorry. We got, we got and Go ahead and come up front. That's fine. There we go. They're not going to know what to do. Bill, you can just go to the other side. That's great. But as we do this... As you work through this this week, what we realize about all of these things is they, they, they draw up different pain elements of our lives. And so if you need to talk with somebody, we're here. We're available to talk with you through this. If you think, you know what, I've got work to do that I need to really, I, I need to process through with a group or with a counselor, then we'll help you to find that resource. But we are going to move next week to the power of, of God's forgiveness and how we see that in the story of Joseph. And as we see God's, the forgiving power of God coming through this process of dysfunction. Listen, let's continue to do the work. Let's continue to strive together, realizing none of us are perfect. None of us are going to get to this uh, instantaneously, but we have work to do in our lives. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let me pray for us as we head out today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for worship. We thank you for the truth that you are, Jesus, what we need to deal with these things that are surfacing in our hearts and lives. May we, your people, do the work that we need to do. And Father, may you receive glory when you use our dysfunction and you cause it to work together for good in our lives and in those who follow after us. May your name be praised in all of this, Lord. In Jesus' name.